Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad you're here at Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you are with us today. Everybody connecting with us online. We're so glad that you found us there and connected with us there. We are in a series uh, called Be Encouraged. And in this series, we're going straight through the book of 2 Corinthians. So today, if you've got your Bibles or pull it up on your smartphone or tablet, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 16. And the title of the message today is Trustworthy character. Now, before I want to read through this passage all the way through before we get to the, to the points of the message today, but before I read through it, I want you to get the setting again. Paul has, remember, written one letter to the Corinthian church. It was, uh, uh, it was hard. It was disciplinary. They had to make a lot of corrections. Uh, and Paul had to be pretty stern and, uh, and hard with them. And in the second letter, he's following up with some encouragement because he's gotten a good report that they've made some of the changes they needed to make. They, they've, they've improved in some areas they needed to improve in. They, they've gotten rid of some things they needed to get rid of in their lives and gotten back on track, which is always good to get that report, right? Last week, we learned that one area they had not really done well in was being the generous people that they had promised they were going to be following through on the offering that they had promised to give. They hadn't quite done that like they needed to. So he's had to try to really encourage them. And now Paul takes a few moments to talk about Following up on that, on that idea of the offering they're taking up, he's now going to talk to them about how they're going to do this offering thing and, and how, who he's going to send there to help them finish up getting their offering together and then who's going to take that to where it needs to be to be sure the saints in Jerusalem get the help that they need to get. And what Paul is trying to emphasize in this, this section of scripture we're going to look at here is, listen, we, we want you to know that, that everybody involved in this has... Has re, we have reason to have trust in what they're doing and how they're doing it. They have trustworthy character. And as school starts back and as, as we continue you know, working and our businesses and things like that and interacting with people in the community as, as people are getting out a little more now from the pandemic and all of that, we've got a great opportunity as Christ followers. Even if we've not done so well with it in the past, to demonstrate what Christian character looks like in the, in the workplace, in the home, in the schools. Uh, we've got a great opportunity to demonstrate the trustworthy character that Christ followers ought to be living by. And so let's listen to Paul. There are three key characteristics about trustworthy character we're going to look at in this passage. I just want to read through it first, and then we will uh, look at the breakdown of those three key categories. Chapter 8, beginning with verse 16, he says, Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we're sending with him our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. For as for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you 
so that the churches can see it. Paul is taking great pains to make sure that as they handle this offering they're collecting and taking that offering, you know, they, 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 in that day and time, you couldn't just electronically put it into account somewhere, right? You got to physically get the money. You got to have people that you can trust that it's been counted, it's been verified. Then it's got to be taken, uh, physically taken by hand to wherever it needs to be to help out the people and then distributed there the way it needs to be distributed. So it wasn't as easy then to have that you know, paper trail or that electronic record of everything that's happening like we can do today. It's easy now. People don't even realize it sometimes. The paper trails that we leave financially as an imprint in our culture today. Every transaction you ever do, it's electronically entered in in most cases. And, and there's a trail there, electronic and paper trail of, of all the interactions that take place. So it's a little easier then to track and trace those things and verify that things are happening the way they need to. Back then, it was much harder for that to be traced or tracked. And Paul is going the extra mile to be sure they know we're all going to handle this on the up and up. It's going to be done the way it's supposed to be done. Now, there are three things that, he, that we want to look at here that he does that, that we can learn from and we can do too that, that will help us as we represent Christ in the world, show them that we have trustworthy character, that Christians, not only are we supposed to have trustworthy character, but we can demonstrate by these three things that we do have trustworthy character. The first thing Paul did that we need to learn to do is be willing to include others in what we're doing. Don't do things in secret. Don't try to hide things. Don't, even if you got nothing to hide, don't, don't make it seem to be secretive, even if you're not trying to make it that way. Paul makes sure that he includes others. Now, there's a lot of good reasons to include others in the work of the kingdom, not just with this offering that they're dealing with, but with all the work of the kingdom. It's always best to include others in the work. Uh, I don't know who said it originally, but I've heard a couple of uh, quotes of uh, people who have been quoted as saying this. It's amazing how much work can get done if no one cares who gets the credit. Right? It's amazing how much work can get done if nobody cares who gets the credit for it. The problem is we like getting credit for stuff. We like getting praise and thanks and recognition for what we do. I mean, who doesn't like that? Most people enjoy that, even the ones that act like they don't, you know. Sometimes deep down they, it makes them feel good, you know, when they get recognized and get thanked for what they're doing. Paul understands that in this case with the churches, there's a lot of churches working together here. So that's, that's the first good thing. No one congregation in this effort is trying to be the one that gets all the praise, all the attention, all the glory for this offering that they're doing to help out the saints in Jerusalem. They're all working together on this. And they're all saying, yes, we, we want to be part of that along with the others. I think one of the things that saddens God most about his church in the world today is how divided we are as a church. It's how we're all kind of working separate from everybody else. We're part of a movement that really struggles with that because we identify ourselves as an independent, non-denominational Christian church, which means we ain't connected to anybody, right? But we are. We're connected by choice. 
we choose to work with and cooperate with other Christians in other places all over the world. When it comes to mission projects, when it comes to, to programs that help the community and all that, we partner with, we connect with, voluntarily connect with and serve with others together. That's a good thing to do. And it does help demonstrate trustworthy character that we don't think we're the only ones that can do it or the only ones that should do it or the only ones or we'll only do it if we get recognition and praise for it, right? It's sad when you see uh, sometimes people will do some good things, but they made sure they set up the photo op ahead of time, right? They wanted to make sure the press was going to be there, the reporters were going to be there, that they got the recognition for it, they got the praise for it, instead of just doing good stuff because we're supposed to be doing good stuff. And here Paul is saying, all right, listen, I've got these men coming with uh, Titus. We're going to come collect the offering. Uh, these guys were picked by their churches and their, their trustworthy people. We're all working together in this. And look at how much more they could get done working together, including each other, than any one church could have done by themselves. We need to remember that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can accomplish a lot more for the kingdom when we work together in unity and in harmony than any of us just trying to do our own thing independent of all the others. We need to be, that's one reason it's so important to be connected to a church family is because you can do some good stuff individually as a Christ follower out there in your community. But if you connect with a church family and we all serve together and use whatever gifts God has given us and we pool those together, we can get a lot more done for the work of the kingdom, doing it together than any of us doing it solo out there. So he says, uh, Paul says, I've got all these other people that were, are working together in this effort. Uh, it also gives accountability that way. That's another good reason for it. And that's part of showing trustworthy character is no one person is going to just be counting the money and taking the money, right, and transporting the money where they could just tell you it's this amount and nobody else has been around it. Nobody else has counted it or checked it. it it's been there's accountability there with the, all the people that they've got connected and involved in the process of what they're doing. So everybody's being held accountable. And that's another great reason to be connected to a church family because whether it's finances or anything else, we need the accountability of a church family in our lives so that if we've got brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe in our life group or, or that we're doing a Bible study with or that we're meeting with personally to encourage each other, who we can bounce things off of and have accountability with those people. We all need that in our lives. You need some people who will hold you accountable. And I'm not talking about the people you pick because they'll always tell you you're doing the right thing. We all know people like that in our lives, right? They'll always say, oh, you're great, you're wonderful, you're amazing. There are people like that. You can find people like that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who actually will say to you, if you're getting off track or out of line, this, I, want, I just want you to know this is not good. I don't think this is a good direction for you to be going. We need that. And Paul is saying, we've put together a whole team effort here among the churches and the people that are handling the money and all of that. It's a team effort. As I was reading this account again of how Paul was handling this, it reminded me of an account in the Old Testament with Moses. Some of you know of Moses in the Old Testament. He had been picked by God to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And he had delivered them with God's power and strength at work, doing great things through Moses and uh, he, he had delivered them, and now they're traveling to the promised land. And on the way, there were a lot of different problems that were coming up and disputes that were happening and things like that. And here's what had begun to develop. Moses was seen as the leader. So who did everybody come to with all the problems? Moses. And so Moses found himself day after day 
just sitting and having people come to him to share their problems and their disputes for Moses to settle this stuff for them. Now, what can that do to your ego if you're not careful? Boy, that can really build your ego, can it? Make you feel like I'm the man, I'm the one, you know, everybody comes to me. So he might have been feeling really good about that. But Moses had somebody that called him out on it, that held him accountable on it. And it was actually his father-in-law. In Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 14, it says this. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, I'll stop there for a moment. I just want to share this. Moses' father-in-law's name always gets me because I always think of the Beverly Hillbillies. His father-in-law's name was Jethro. Okay. It'd be hard for me today to take Jethro seriously if he came to me and said, you're not doing a good thing here, right? But, but back then, they didn't have the Beverly Hillbillies yet, so Jethro was still not a name that was associated with that. So it says, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you, sit alone, why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? He's calling them out on it. He says, why have you let it get to this point? Where all day long, every day you're sitting there, people are waiting in line to come to you to settle these arguments and these disputes all day long, every day. Why did you let it get to that? And Moses tries to explain it. He answered that because the people come to seek God's will. Now, you know what Moses is saying? If they want to know God's will, who do they have to come to? Moses. Like he's the only one that could do this. And give them God's will in their situations or their problems. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So he probably felt like, okay, Jethro, I gave you the answer. It's, it's good. Now move on, right? Jethro didn't stop there. Look at the next one, verse 17. Moses' father in law replied, What you are doing is not good. Whoa, that's not what Moses thought he was going to hear. When you're working hard, doing what you think is the right thing to do, and somebody says, you're, what you're doing is not good, that's hard to take. I mean, Moses probably felt like, I'm sacrificing everything for these people, right? Look at all the time and the effort and the work I'm putting in here. Sometimes we get that in churches too, don't we? People start resenting the fact that they're doing so much work for the church. And so much is put on their shoulders. So much is expected of them. Maybe what they're doing is not good. Maybe we can learn a lesson here, that we ought to be including others more. But in order to do that, we have to get our egos out of the way. That's tough. Listen to what his father-in-law went on to say. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. He probably looked at Moses, and you know what he saw in Moses' face? Moses was tired and worn out. His ego was being fed, but physically, emotionally, mentally, he was being drained. Big time. I mean, just drained. Trying to do all this himself was too much. And even the people were getting worn out. Why? Because they wanted to get these things settled. They wanted it to be handled. And how, what were they doing? They were having to wait in line every day for maybe a chance to get to talk to Moses about it. And if they didn't get to see him that day, what did they have to do the next day? Get back in line again. <laughs> how many of you like to stand in line for long periods of time? Nobody does. Nobody does. And so the people are getting worn out, too. It's not working well. 
He says, the work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. I like the way he said, I want to give you some advice, and may God be with you. (laughs) He wanted to throw that in there, so Moses doesn't get too mad at him and just come at him, right? He doesn't want to be having Moses try to retaliate against him. So here's what he says, okay? You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how to behave. So what does he say? He says, Moses, your primary responsibility is to teach the people God's decrees. That's your main role. You're the teacher. So you're going to give them the principles and the guidelines and the directives from God's word that the people need to hear. That's the primary thing you need to be focusing on and doing. He's not even been able to do that on a large scale now, right? Because now every day, what is he doing? One-on-one having to deal with different disputes all day long, every day. So he's not getting to do what he's supposed to be doing. So he says, you teach them that, do what you're supposed to do there. But then he says this, verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In other words, break it down into smaller segments and delegate responsibility to other people. Let other people get involved and use their gifts and their abilities. Now, pick good people, you know, select good people. That's part of what your role is as a leader. You try to find good people to do this, but put them in place. Delegate that responsibility to them. Don't keep doing it all yourself. Now, you told them, you still need to handle the big deals, right? The big things. The really big things come to you. If, the, if these people aren't able to get it worked out and resolve it, then, then you step in there and you help with it. But other than that, let them take care of those day-to-day things that they need to be dealing with so that you can get back to being that teacher who's giving them God's message, God's word, the way they need to be getting that from you. You see, it was better to include these other people in the work. One of the greatest failures of the church structurally, I believe, in the world has been how we began to structure it differently than it started in the New Testament. And one of the biggest failures of the way we had a man-made structure come into the church was this. We started putting responsibility way more, almost all the responsibility on one or two people to lead the church the pastor or the elder team or whoever, depending on the organizational structure of the church, it's all on them, right? And and that's the way people look at the church. If things go well, who gets the praise? Pastor gets the praise. Look what a good job the the church is doing great. Got a great pastor there. But if there's any struggles or any problems, who gets that too? The pastor. That's why the average stay for a pastor in churches in America today is less than four years. Because every time a little something goes bad, who gets it? The pastor. And who's the one they can eliminate most easily? The pastor. We'll just get another pastor, right? Let him go, get another one. Well, here's the problem. It never was supposed to be all on the pastor to start with, ever. That's not the way the early church was designed. In fact, one of the things they did best was everybody got involved in ministry, Everybody served. Everybody used their gifts and their abilities to do what they could do to help in the work of the church. 
And when something was going on, it's great if you let the pastor know about it, but they didn't expect one person to always be there and take care of things for them. They never did that in the early church. We developed that mindset in the American church. It came from the European church, but when we brought it here, we continued it and developed it even more where the pastor is the only one that we can talk to about this or, or handle this for us and be the one that's got to be there every time. If somebody's sick or in the hospital, it's got to be that one. Right? That's the guy that's got to be there. That's not the pattern of the church in the New Testament at all. Not even close. But when you do that, a couple of things happen. One is, it can be an ego trip for pastors, right? They, they begin to think, it has to be me. I'm the guy. I'm the one. And, and it rises and falls on me. And if things are going good, especially, that can really be an ego trip, right? If the church is doing well and the church is growing, then that can really be a huge ego trip for the pastor. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not here to point fingers at any other pastor, but we all have seen it, haven't we? Where it becomes this big show of that pastor. It's all about them. Everything centers around them, and they're the face and the picture and the, everything for that ministry. It's about that person, not about Christ. But it's also easy when that person falls or makes a mistake or doesn't please somebody that's influential, then that pastor can be cut just like that. Let's move on to another one who'll do what we want them to do the way we want them to do it. It's bad for that reason, but here's another reason it's bad. One of the worst things that happens when we do that is people don't serve and use their gifts and abilities the way God designed them to. People don't get involved in the work of the ministry. They expect the professionals to do that for them. And that's why the attitude in the American church is we go to church to be served by the professionals not to actually be servants ourselves. Now, I'm saying this in generalities. Here at Lakeshore, we've got a lot of people that serve and love serving and use their gifts and their abilities, and I'm so thankful that we have teams that are out there serving and individuals that are partnering with others to do good stuff in the community, and it's not just all about the pastor or all about even just Lakeshore Christian Church. It's about the work of the kingdom, and everybody is, we've got so many people that understand this and grasp this, and I'm so thankful for that, but it still creeps back in, doesn't it, into our mindset, well, certain things, it has to be the pastor, right? He's got to be the one to be there to do that. So I want you to understand, if we're going to have trustworthy character in the eyes of the community, we don't need to put everything on one or two people. We don't. We need to all realize that God's plan, now think of, think of this. Think of how much work could get done for the kingdom if nobody cared who got the credit and we didn't expect it to be just one or two people doing it. Can you imagine how much more we could get done? If we all understood we're all part of the ministry, part of the service, part of what needs to be done in the name of Christ for the church. If we all saw that we have a role to play in that, instead of just delegating that to one or two people and giving them all that responsibility. So that's the first thing. We need to be learning to have this willingness to include others in what God is calling us to do. Whether it's about the money for this offering they were taking up or anything else, Paul was good at including others in the work and letting them use their gifts and their abilities. And I'm so thankful that he was. The second principle is this. If we're going to do that, then we all need to be honest about our strengths and our weaknesses. We need to be honest about our strengths and weaknesses. 
Remember when Jethro went to Moses and he said, what you're doing is not good because your strength is what? Your calling, your giftedness is to do what? You're to be the teacher for the people. That's your calling. That's your giftedness. That's what, that's what you need to be doing is that. Let other people use their strengths and their abilities and their resources to do the other work that needs to be done. He's not saying the other work doesn't matter or that one is more important than the other. That's not what he's saying. He's saying all of it's really important. None of it needs to be neglected, but you don't need to be doing it all because you're not even the best one to be doing it all. There are other people out there that have gifts and abilities you don't have, Moses. They can do some of this and maybe even do it better than you could do it. Can you believe that, Moses? Can you get your ego out of the way enough to, to understand that some people might actually be able to do some of this stuff better than you can do it yourself? Different personality types struggle with this differently, but uh, I'm of this personality type sometimes. It's not ego that I think I'm the only one that could do it or can only do it the best. That has to be me. That's not my problem. My biggest problem that I've struggled with in, in, in helping use other people in ministry and work together is sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself than it is to recruit and train and equip and, and get somebody else out there to do it, right? At the moment, it's easier to just say, I'll do it, right? I'll go ahead and take care of that. Now, you do that often enough and it gets to be a burden, but, but at first it seems like that's the easy thing to do. It's just, I'll just do it myself. Isn't that how you do with your kids sometimes? You know, we're supposed to be training them up to, to learn how to be on their own. Well, it's easier to wash the dishes by yourself, mom and dad, right? But kids could learn if we let them get in there and do some of it. Now, they may not be as good at it as you are to start with, but they got to learn, right? They have to actually do it to learn how to do it. That's the only way to do it, to learn and get better, is to practice it. I know sometimes it's easier to just say, well, I'll just take care of it, right? But are we really doing them any favors? Uh, it's amazing how many kids grow up and they don't even know how to clean a toilet, right? They've never once had to. Somebody else has always cleaned the toilet. They didn't even know it had to be cleaned until it got so bad that even they couldn't use it. Right now, all of a sudden, well, what do you do now? Right, because they never ever were included in that, it was always just done. They didn't even know how it got done half the time. Right, they just have always seen it clean, they didn't know what mom did or dad did to go in there and clean that toilet. Right, you see, it's not good, like Jethro was telling Moses. For you not to get other people involved. You know what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be disciples who make other disciples. Okay? You can't make other disciples if you don't bring them along and teach them and encourage them and let them be part of the process. You can't do it. That's how you make disciples. And so we all need to be willing to include others, but we got to be honest about our strengths and weaknesses in the process. I love what Paul went on to say. We'll deal with it more in chapter 12. But in chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, he said this. Paul had had this thorn in the flesh. Remember, he went to God and asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, some physical problem that Paul had. It says, but he said to me when I asked him to remove it, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, you know what? I don't try to hide my weaknesses anymore. 
I think that's the reason sometimes we don't bring other people along and let them help and get involved. You know what the potential is? They may actually be better at it than us. And then what? Right? We're so insecure, we don't want anybody else to come along that seems to be doing it better than we are. As I've gotten older in ministry and had more opportunity to do it now, I mentor some other younger pastors. And I got to tell you, I'm working with some younger pastors that, that I can already see it. They're going to be better than me. Some of them may already be better than me. And I got to be okay with that. In fact, not just okay with it, I should rejoice and celebrate that. Because isn't that good for the kingdom? Isn't that great for the work of the kingdom of God? That we've got some young men coming along that are going to be just great pastors for the work of the kingdom. I love that. You can't have an ego problem and do that, though. Because what you'll end up doing is holding them back and hurting them instead of helping them grow into all that God wanted them to be in their lives. We've got to be willing to get others involved. Even if they outshine us, that's okay. If it's accomplishing the work of the kingdom that God has called us to. So let's be honest about our strengths and weaknesses. I'll give you an example. Uh, sometimes, you know, we need people to help out on the praise team. And, you know, they don't ever call me. I don't know why, but they don't. And, and, and I know it's because they know I'm doing other things, and that's my focus. But, but you know, I do play drums, and they don't even ask me to do that. But, but here's the one thing they wouldn't ask me to do. I can guarantee you this is help with the vocal part of it. They would never ask me to help with the singing because they have heard me sing. That's why. And I have gotten very honest about that. That's a weakness for me, and I just know that it is. I try to train the sound people back there during the invitation to cut my mic off because sometimes I forget to cut it off. And I want to sing at the invitation, but nobody else needs to hear that through the sound system. Nobody does, okay? <laughs> it's just not a good thing. It's not going to help, you know, prod people to come to Jesus. It may, it may even deter people from coming to Jesus. So you got to be honest about your strengths and weaknesses, too. Even if you're being invited to come along and be a part of something, you're the only one that really knows deep down what, what you're passionate about, what you really feel like your tr strengths are, what your training and ability is, what your experience is. And sometimes it takes a while to find that place for you to connect and use your gifts and abilities. And sometimes you just have to do some trial and error. You just have to try some things and see. Is this something that I'm good at? Is this something that I can help with? Is this something that I really can make a difference in for the work of the kingdom? Coming up on August the 22nd, just a few weeks now from, from today, we're having a ministry fair where we're going to have some tables set up and, and some signs and stuff out there in the lobby in the cafe area. Going to have it down at the Smyrna campus too where, where you could go by and learn about some different ministries that we have going on here at the church, get more information about it, and maybe just say, in your own heart and mind, be honest about your strengths and weaknesses. You know, that's something I think I could help with. I, I, could, I could get involved in that. God can use me in that area. It could be working in the cafe or the bookstore. It could be helping out with preschool or grade school ministry or youth ministry. It, it, it could be a lot. It could be praise team. It could be so many different things. But, but instead of just expecting a few people to do it all, God wants all of us to get involved in doing our part too. But be honest about your strengths and your weaknesses. But here's the thing I want to tell you too, just real quick on that one. Sometimes you just need to help out even if it's not your strength. They just need some help and you're available so you can help. 
You don't have to commit to it for the rest of your life, but, but you can jump in there and help for a little while. You know, we need people for the safety team. We need greeters. I will tell you this as a greeter. If you can't smile a little bit, don't sign up for that one, okay? <laughs> That's just not good. You don't fit there, okay? Just, I'm just going to be honest about it. Uh, if you can't show up early and be happy when you get here, don't sign up. To <laughs> maybe the 11 o'clock service, but not the early service, right? Don't do that. Be honest about your strengths and weaknesses, but don't let your weaknesses keep you from serving. God gives us all in different ways, and there's a way all of us can serve. It may be way in the background where nobody ever sees you, and that's okay with you because you like that. Serve that way then. However it works with the way God made you, you be honest about that, and you get connected and involved in serving. So August the 22nd, we're going to be having that ministry fair And if you're not already serving in some way, we hope you will connect in some way in using your gifts and abilities to serve because we're always better together than any of us trying to depend on just a few people to do all the stuff that the church needs to be doing. That leads to the third thing and the final one is that uh, we need to learn to avoid even the appearance of evil in what we're doing if we want the world to be impacted by our character as Christ followers. We need to avoid even the appearance of evil. Did you hear Paul talking about how We wanted to make sure that the way we handle this is is pleasing to to the people doing it, but it's also pleasing to the churches that that are giving their offering. We want to make sure they all know because we want to eliminate even the possibility that anybody thinks anything inappropriate is going on with how we're doing this, right? Right? We don't want there to be even any speculation that maybe this is not being handled on the up and up the way it needs to be handled. So they went the extra mile. They took extra precautions to be sure everybody could tell this is being held, uh, being done and handled the right way. And friends, that's exactly what all of us need to do as Christ followers is we need to make sure we go the extra mile. Even if we don't have to technically, according to Scripture, do what we do, we're going to do it just to make sure we eliminate the possibility of the appearance of evil. Um. I'll give you an example. I've used it before, but it's a really simple thing. When we built out our offices here at this building, uh, this building was just an empty shell in this part. It was a store. There wasn't hardly any walls or anything here when we bought it. But when we built out the office wing, we could select whatever doors we wanted for the office doors. We selected office doors that have full glass in the doors. Now, why would we do that? It cost us more to do that. We could have had solid doors cheaper than full glass doors. So why do we get full glass doors? Because we want to avoid even the appearance of anything going on in those offices that shouldn't be going on. Anybody could walk by any time, even if the door's closed, and they could still look in to that office. Does Scripture require us to do that? No. But it helps us avoid even the appearance of evil, right? It's just one little thing. But think about the one little thing there. There's accountability now for anybody in that office meeting with anybody and what might be going on in that office, right? And with our staff, we set up a policy that you don't meet with someone after hours or when nobody else is in the office but you. You don't meet with people in there by yourself like that. Why? Because we want to avoid even the appearance of evil going on. Is it absolutely required scripturally? No. But the principle is there scripturally, right? Let's avoid even the appearance of evil there. 
when it comes to the finances of the church. We want to avoid any, any appearance of evil because so many non-Christians out there criticize the church when it comes to just wanting your money and they, they don't do good, you know, handle the money well and, you know, the pastor's getting rich off of the church and all that stuff. You know, they, they have all these accusations they want to throw at the church and it's all about the money. So we make sure that we, we put some policies in place that no one person counts the money by themselves and, uh, you know, there is a record of the deposits that are made after it's counted and the records can be seen and we make sure that there, there are other things in place. For example, we've partnered with an organization called Christian Financial Resources, CFR. Now, they are a great organization. In fact, one of their representatives is going to be here on August the 29th to talk more about CFR. And some of you are already a part of CFR and you have money deposited with them. And I, I thank you for that because the money that you deposit with them is used for churches. It's used for church work. So I love supporting that. Uh, but here's the thing. CFR gets our financial statements regularly. And they go through them and they look for, is everything good? Is everything on the up and up? They want to make sure everything's being handled exactly the way it needs to be handled. We put ourselves into that position as a church, as leaders, because we need that accountability and you need to know we have that accountability, right? They, we have accountability there to be sure the finances are being handled the way they're supposed to be handled. People outside our church are looking at the books and making sure everything is where it needs to be, being done the way it needs to be done. Friends, we, we all need that in our lives. And that's why being part of a church family is such a big deal. And individually, we need to make sure we're representing Christ in a way where we're not even giving the appearance of evil in how we're living our lives. It doesn't mean you got to be perfect to be a Christian. That's not what we're talking about here. It does mean, though, we need to be willing to be accountable to be Christians. We need to have people around us that will tell us the truth about what's going on in our lives. And hold us accountable. In Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 and verse 3, Paul said this to Christians, to Christ followers. But among you there must not even uh, be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Among you, you shouldn't even give the impression that any of that stuff is going on in your life. That's why coarse joking is said is not something that should be part of our lives either. Because that gives the impression that stuff's going on that, shouldn't be, that we accept and, and, and allow things that shouldn't be accepted or allowed when we even joke about it. We don't need to give the impression, even a hint of immorality going on in our lives. And if it is exposed that there's immorality going on in our lives, then there needs to be that repentance and getting back on track process because God's grace is there and we can't be forgiven. But people need to know that we were accountable and we did repent and we did get back on track and experience the grace and the forgiveness of God in the process. That's part of not giving that wrong impression to people out there. Back in the first Corinthian letter, Paul was correcting, remember, the problems that were going on in the church there. And, and in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23, he gives them this principle that is really a good principle for us. I want to close with this principle. Get it in your heart and into your mind. Here's the principle. He said, Here, here's what you say. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Here's what I see a troubling trend in the church in America today is this. Christians 
having this rebellious spirit to say, you can't tell me what to do. I have the right to do whatever I want to do. What a terrible rebellious spirit to have as a Christ follower. You may have the right to do it, but is it the best thing? Is it the constructive thing? Is it the thing that's going to give the right impression to the non-Christian world about the character we have as Christ followers? Just because we have a right to do it, does that make it the right thing to do? Sometimes it doesn't. Because it's going to leave the wrong taste in the mouths of people out there that are judging the church already. It's going to keep them from ever thinking we've got any different kind of character than the rest of the world has for us to be participating in those things or indicating that those things are good or acceptable to us. So the three principles are clear. We need to learn to include other people, right? Work together. We can do more that way and let them use their gifts and abilities. Let's get our egos out of the way. And let's make sure we're honest about our strengths and our weaknesses because nobody is good at everything. I can assure you, you're not as good at some things as you think you are. And neither am I. And we need to be real and honest about that. And we need to allow other people who can shine in those areas to shine. And we need to celebrate how good they are and what they're doing. Build them up and encourage them in what they're doing. And while we're doing all that, we need to do it in a way that will avoid the appearance of evil because our character needs to represent the character of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have the example of Christ who, who is so willing to give up himself for us. And Father, as we try to represent Christ in the world, we need to have trustworthy character. We need to demonstrate that. We need to live that out in front of our family and our friends and those that, that are just watching from a distance what Christians are like. Father, they need us to be people of trustworthy character. So Father, we ask for your grace and your mercy where we come short. We ask for your forgiveness and we thank you that you freely give it. But Father, that doesn't give us the right to abuse your grace. Help us to make the changes we need to make and to, to get back on track and to, to honor you moving forward. Father, may we, may we today recommit ourselves to representing Christ well with the trustworthy character you've called us to have. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.